What's up, everybody? Give me a second here, adjusting this microphone, which I should have done beforehand, but I didn't. Uh, hello, this is the Promotion Malpractice Live Chat. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, February 24th, 2016. Finally starting to get those right. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the senior editor at MMA Fighting. Uh, really excited about today. Big day in the sport, big week in the sport, it feels like, ahead of another big week. So, what is there to talk about? I mean, what isn't there to talk about? Jeez Louise, we've got UFC 196's shakeup. Rafael Dos Anjos is out. Nate Diaz is in, except the fight's going to be at 170, and it's still headlining. Going to be five rounds with Conor McGregor, so that's a lot of fun. We'll talk about all the ins and outs of that. We'll get to, hey, I mean, this weekend, people are forgetting Michael Bisping has the biggest, arguably the biggest fight of his life, taking on Anderson Silva in the UK uh, at the O2 Arena in London. That'll air on Fight Pass. We'll talk about that as well. Um, you've got still some Bellator 149 fallout. You've got any number of different things to get to. So this is your chance, man. I'm going to try and rifle through these questions as quick as I can, and I appreciate everyone's contributions, and, and thank you so much for watching. Make sure you follow us, on, or follow me, uh, at SBN Luke Thomas, and then iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. That's where you can get all the podcasts. So subscribe there, and of course, I'm on SoundCloud too, should you need that. Uh, all right, so with that out of the way, oh yeah, uh, put your comments um, on Twitter with the hashtag chat wrappers, or put your questions in the post I always put up on MMA Fighting for it. Comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Let's just get right to it, right? I mean, there's no point in wasting. Um, as you guys know, but having some memory problems, I have, I have people been writing to me. I don't think it's related to diet soda there's not enough evidence for it but i'm going to cut it out if for no other reason than caffeine so today i have water and mora clite um which is like i don't know i don't know what the equivalent would be here exactly but you know you just google it whatever i'm trying to take in less caffeine so i can sleep better and if i sleep better i can be less irritable <laughs> although irritability feels like a uh, a general condition of my existence these days all right, let's get this going. First question, McGregor Diaz, of course. With the highly unfortunate events that transpired this week, could there have been any better way this played out than having Nate Diaz fill that spot? It seems as a trash-talking ninja versus trash-talking ninja is perfect. There are two controversial and highly volatile individuals. How big of a chess move could this be for UFC and Connor, for that matter? What implications might rise to the surface if Connor wins? How much more will his star power rise with the move? How do you see this fight playing out? Share your wisdom. Uh, well, to the extent that I have any, I will. Man, this is big. You know, and I said last night on 120 Sports that um, I'll put this up a little bit. I said last night on 120 Sports that if Conor McGregor, if he wins a close fight, it's still big, of course. But if he stops Nate Diaz, especially if he stops him early, like first or you know early second round, it's going to be pandemonium in the sport. It's going to be pandemonium. And people were like, well, Nate Diaz has been stopped before. Yeah, of course. Like, what does that have to do with anything? That doesn't change the equation at all. You mean to tell me that if these two guys fight at welterweight, Nate Diaz gets stopped, that Conor McGregor won't find a clever way to use that to his professional advantage? Boy, keep underestimating Conor McGregor. See what that does for you. Didn't do much for me. I can, I can attest to that fact. Uh you're you're insane if you don't think that a stoppage win, particularly an early stoppage win, would turn the sport on its head. Now, not as much as it would if he stopped Los Angeles for that belt. I admit that's a bigger deal. But if you're Conor McGregor and you win, again, via stoppage, especially early, 
it, it does so much for you because number one, you can say you beat a guy. Now it's been a while since Nate was a top welterweight contender, but he used to be one. Certainly, he's an existing top lightweight contender. I think number six in the division. So it gives you um, enough ammo to say, look, I beat a guy who was a contender in two divisions. More recently, this one. If I want to go back to lightweight, I can. But the fact that the event or the fight is going to take place at one seventy or you know close to it, basically. Um, tells me that what McGregor can say is, look, I'm already ready for welterweight. He can already jump the queue and go right up to Lawler and skip Dos Anjos or come and circle back around. In other words, it gives him a ton of different options. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, and you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of McGregor's antics, but I'm not going to sit here and deny the truth. If he goes in there and puts a beating on Nate Diaz and wins spectacularly and fairly early, it's going to be pandemonium. It's going to be complete and total pandemonium because Conor McGregor is going to seize that opportunity and market the hell out of it. There's just no other way to describe it. That Nate Diaz has been stopped before is functionally irrelevant. It's functionally irrelevant. You 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 keep thinking that a McGregor win like this in a bout with these circumstances doesn't do anything for him or mean a whole lot or really say a whole lot. And I realize he's a minus 320 uh, favorite. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if he goes in there and wins early via, early via stoppage, it's going to be a show. It's going to be a show. Um, you're going to have three divisions of guys lining up to try and fight him. Um, wh- whether or not any of those are deserved or you know which one's more likely than the other or likelier than the other, we can have that debate at a separate point in time. But what this does is it still keeps the, the track of a lightweight belt relevant while adding in the welterweight component as a um, as much more than some general abstract idea. It gives weight to the welterweight campaign that I think he wants to go on to. And you might take issue with how much weight there is, but you know what 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 you believe to be what there is and what reasonably speaking McGregor can turn into a real opportunity are two very different things. Uh, it, it, this is a massive fight. It's a massive fight. Frankly, I like McGregor's chances to win. I don't know. If, I don't know if he's going to win early or not. But overall, like forced to pick X or Y, I like McGregor's chances. I think the odds makers are probably right here. But this is so big. It's so big and it's so fun and it's going to be a real scrap. Two guys that like to throw hands. Um, McGregor obviously has a little bit more tools than that. You know, Nate Diaz has a few more tools than that too, especially on the ground, but. But this is big because it, it in one fight, it functionally straddles two weight classes. Nate Diaz is almost perfect in that regard for this fight. Even Cerrone would have done that too since he just fought at welterweight. But Diaz's tenure at welterweight is longer. Um, his current stat- status at lightweight is on the rise and hot. And then this, the, the two clashings of personality um, is is... I mean, you can't write stuff like this. So this is huge. This is great. This is this is this is everything you could want it to be in the event that Dos Anjos is going to be gone. And I have to say, boy, what a terrible turn of events for him. Because now, if he does get the fight after this, and presumably he, you know, will be at least at the short list, right? Um, now he's going to have to deal with McGregor beating him up in the media for an extended period of time with a particular issue upon which to home in on the fact that he pulled out of due to injury, a sore toe. Now I'm sure the injury is legitimate, but you get the idea whether, whether or not it's legitimate or not is irrelevant in terms of what is McGregor going to do with it. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you what he's going to do with it. He's going to use it as a cudgel to bang on 
Dos Anjos well in advance. I actually saw Creed, the movie, recently, and there's a scene in there, I'm not going to spoil it, where uh, Adonis Creed, who is, who is the son of Creed, Apollo Creed, is getting ready for a big fight, and he uh, shows up to a press conference. Sorry, I have to sneeze. And um, and Rocky is like his trainer slash cornerman, and Rocky says the fight starts in two minutes, meaning two minutes before this press conference starts. And I thought that was so interesting. These guys all think the fight doesn't start until when they get in the cage. No, the fight starts the minute the fight is signed. Frankly, it might even start before that. And McGregor knows that, and he is, I'm telling you, he is going to beat up Dos Anjos verbally in a way that he is simply unprepared for, it seems to me. Um, how much more will his star power rise with this move? Again, depending on the outcome and the nature of the outcome, uh, we can't really answer that question until then, but I, I do believe a fairly early stoppage win would be a dramatic, dramatic improvement for McGregor. Already on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, Rousey's out there trying to recover from, frankly, like what I got from Rousey was that she was traumatized by what happened against um, Holly Holm. Conor McGregor's out there traumatizing the game. Like, I don't know if he's going to take her over as a popular attraction for any number of reasons, but, boy, he's going to make a run of it, isn't he? Uh, thoughts on the audio from the Bones-Jones traffic stop? Um, yeah, I mean, I said, it, I said everything I, ha I had to say on the MMA beat about that. If you guys heard it, he's like, I was going 75 and a 35 for real? I didn't realize that. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. Um, and then he doesn't have anything on him. You know, it, it's just, it's. I, I just refer back to what I said on the beat. He, you know, he might be the greatest talent I think we've ever seen. <clears throat> we'll see how his career goes, but, and especially in his return fight. But, um, you know, might be the might be the worst person behind the wheel I've ever seen. And uh, just a complete lack of self-awareness. Doesn't understand. Like, well, you're talking about tickets. Right. I mean, you're going 75 and a 35. Like, that's dangerous in and of itself, irrespective of whether there's anyone else on the road. Um, and then you don't have any documentation where you're driving. It's just so ludicrous that he would be mad at anybody else. <clears throat> oh, Jesus, about it. Pardon me. It's beyond ludicrous. His position is completely indefensible. And that's the end of that. All right, uh, more McGregor versus Diaz questions. Although many fans seem to be counting Diaz out, he still has a significant advantage in size, reach, cardio, and jiu-jitsu over Connor, who has fought much smaller men until now. McGregor is moving up to 170 for the first time in his career, which only adds more unknown variables to this thriller. Question, how will McGregor and Diaz match up physically as well as psychologically, in your opinion? How do you see this fight going? I don't see either guy breaking mentally, and I don't see other guy putting on the other one in a way that would even bring that up. Let me uh, verify something before I go to it here. Let's look at some stats for Nate Diaz, which I should have done before the chat, but I didn't. So there you go. Reach is defined as 76 inches, which is rather significant. Let's see where McGregor is at. Seventy-four. So he'd have a two-inch reach disadvantage. He would certainly have a disadvantage on the ground, um, but I don't know that the disadvantage on the ground would be so significant. I, I actually think, in terms of MMA jiu-jitsu, uh, Diaz's guard is a little bit more lethal than um, 
Dos Anjos's top game. Dos Anjos's top game is really good positionally and for ground and pound. It's not so good for jiu-jitsu. It's not great, amazing, oh my God. Diaz's guard will give a lot of people problems. A lot of people problems. I don't know if that's really what's going to come into play against McGregor, to be honest. I find it a little bit hard to believe, actually. I, I just think they're going to slug it out one way or the other. But, um, but yeah, uh, certainly I would say who has the better jiu-jitsu? Diaz certainly has a better jiu-jitsu. He's been a black belt, a high-level black belt for a while and has a lot more um, in-sport competition wins against credential competitors. But I don't think that, again, I don't really think that's the big issue here. Um, so he has a two-inch reach disadvantage to McGregor, which will be interesting. Yeah, this is the big change for me. Um, the big change for me is that they went from trying to face a Muay Thai guy who's short, stocky, has good wrestling, well-rounded, can mix it up all three. And now they're going to get a guy who's long and lanky and is much more centered on his boxing. Um, that's the big change to me. The size issue, I don't know... You know, Diaz was never a big welterweight to begin with. And when we see him get muscled around by Rory McDonald, you kind of get a sense of that. So, um, but again, that goes back to my previous point. You can be like, well, how can you say that? Luca then say that he can then use the win at welterweight to make a claim. Because what Conor McGregor can do is beyond what you might think is a reasonable conclusion. That's, that's why. If he has a win in the welterweight division, He's going to say that, and he's going to convince you that, or at least people in management, that he deserves more of a chance in that division, whether or not you or I think that is the case. In any case, with Diaz, yeah, like you know, uh, this is going to be a lot of striking between the two. As you know, Diaz, um, volume striker, kind of like his brother. Not a lot of in and out movement, which I think is going to give. Uh, Diaz some problems against someone like McGregor who's going to be cutting angles on him you know I, I really like McGregor in this fight to win um, but I like the fact that he didn't automatically I mean look if he had gotten the title shot automatically that would have been fine but I think there is something kind of up nice about him having to go up and fight Chad Mendes first and then getting Jose Aldo and having to fight Nate Diaz first and then either getting Dos Anjos or Lawler or however it all plays out I kind of like it both ways to be honest kind of makes me feel like you know he really had to earn it. You know, when it's all said and done, and if the fight after this one is Dos Anjos, assuming that McGregor wins, what are you going to say? Like, he didn't face enough of the right guys? I mean, okay, I guess he could have fought three contenders at lightweight, but, you know, who has time for that? The This is about making the biggest fights he can and about finding out um, just how good he is and facing Mendez and beating him and then Aldo and then beating him and then Diaz presumably beating him and then, again, Dos Anjos or Lawler. It's a pretty nice resume. It's a pretty nice resume. So... I kind of like that a little bit, that he has an extra little layer of uh, meritocracy to go through. And it's a it's another different kind of opponent. You know, Chad Mendez and Nate Diaz couldn't be further apart in terms of their games. And he's going to have to go through both of them if he wants to get where he wants to go. I really like that. I really appreciate that. I think that's very cool, very interesting. Um, there's a lot to like about this fight. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaning heavily McGregor. Maybe you lean Diaz. That's cool. You know, no one knows what's going to happen, but... I just appreciate the fact that McGregor is sticking with it, uh, that Nate Diaz volunteered, that it's a different kind of fight than you expect, that that there's going to be, at least for the next 10 days, probably some decent fireworks between the two. The stare down today is going to be awesome. By the way, we're going to have a camera crew there at today's presser. So as soon as this chat is over, don't switch. we got a, we got a lot of coverage coming your way. Um, pardon me. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. 
who will likely way more come fight night. Diaz has his tall, lean mask. I mean, maybe Diaz since he has him in you know in camp, but we'll see. True false. I've been hearing it all over with a win over Diaz. McGregor fights Lawler two hundred. I mean, who's to say that's false? Uh, I'll say it's false just because maybe Dos Anjos is next. But trickle-down effect for Bellator. This Friday's card will have pumped up the ratings because of last Friday's show in Houston. There might be some trickle over. Silva humiliates Bisping. False. Dada 5000 fights again. Not anytime soon. I'll say false. You browse the MMA subreddit. Yeah, all the time. Uh, there will be a farewell episode of Luke Thomas is Pissed. I'll bring it back uh, occasionally a couple times a year. In theory. Uh, Luke, what quality of fighters do you want in the UFC? You have said the roster is too large. What is the number of fighters you believe the UFC should employ? I mean, contract with. Uh, and who from the current roster would be the lowest skill level on your ideal roster? I mean, look at t- look at uh, Saturday's event. There's just a bunch of guys on there who just aren't UFC level. That whole prelim card, virtually, you can argue, is like that. Um, you know, for me, I'm mostly interested divisions can change a little bit like lightweight. I'm much more t- willing to tolerate, you know, them climbing into the twenties in terms of the ranked guys. But most of the time, top 15 is more than enough for me. I mean, you know, what is your brand? Your brand is, this is where the best fight the best. That's the easiest way to understand what the UFC is. How is the UFC different than their competitors? Okay. Well, this is where the best fight the best. Now in these other di- organizations, you get some that are very good. You get some that are great even, but mostly it's not quite that scenario. It's either UFC light or you get Bellator, which is UFC light plus, um, you know, a little bit of freak show thrown in. Um, that's not supposed to be the case with UFC. Now, how many they could reasonably uh, keep on retainer um, without, you know, ruining the product in terms of cuts, right? Like how many, how much could you cut? I don't know. I feel like at least a hundred you could cut. Um I'm willing to be amenable to that number based on what it looks like. If you did, you'd have to have fewer shows, but you know, I'm, I'm quite okay with that. Again, I'd be okay with them doing more shows if the fighters had protections and a union and the UFC was the only game in town, because if you did fewer shows, some of those guys would have to go elsewhere. They could go to other promoters, promoters be able to use them more effectively. Now one would presume that if those, you know, whatever the trickle down was to the other promoters, the promoters would then make use of them and let other guys go on their own roster in an existing way, uh, or at least a concurrent way, but you never know. Um, you know, they've got more fighters in the UFC than they have players in the NBA. That should not be the case for me anyway. All right. Interesting question. Everyone keeps asking me this. First of all, your question is too long. If it takes you three paragraphs to write your question, it's too long. It's been two years since Coker was installed as the president of Bellator. After last week's tentpole event, the promotion seems to have reached an all-time low in terms of ethics. The main and co-main events were so dreadful that fans claim Bellator 149 set MMA back 20 years. I mean, could MMA fans be more out of touch? Seriously? Like, I'm not going to defend what you saw. I mean, who can, right? But, you know, when people start talking about, like, you know, well, the days of Caligula are ahead. And societal breakdown is upon us. It's like, will you lighten up? People just like Kimbo Slice. That's it's really no more complicated than that. Who's the biggest star in Bellator? Kimbo Slice. End of discussion. 
It's it's not any more complicated than that. You don't have to like that or watch the fights or recommend it. Um, and certainly the, that fight sucked against Dada 5000. I think we can all agree with that too. But everyone's like, oh my God, cats and dogs living together, living together, mass hysteria. Lighten up. People just like Kimbo Slice. It, it's really not more complicated than that. Um, Scott Coker has been a respected combat sports promoter for decades. He did an amazing job of recruiting talented athletes, blah. Bellator is a far cry from what Strikeforce was, and while these freak show events are drawing largely viewership ratings for the for, for the time being, it simply isn't a sustainable option, blah, blah, blah. It's well known that Rebney and Viacom didn't see eye to eye on how Bellator should present his business model, which led to him being ousted. Okay, is it possible that Coker feels pressured into being a puppet for Viacom behind-the-scene decision-making to avoid suffering the same fate as Rebney? So, in other words, if Viacom wasn't breathing down his neck, he'd pull on the same shows as Rebney? I don't know what... No, just no. That that's so not the case at all. I don't really understand why people are very confused about this. Um, if you want to make an argument about what Bellator did wrong, I think there's a few things you could say about uh, the strategy generally, and then specifically Bellator 149. As I've said a number of times, I think the two freak show fights, while it worked to get the big ratings, probably was a bit too much to swallow. Um, they didn't do a good job of putting like their real premier talent on the rest of that card as they had done against Kimbo versus Ken. I think that was a big problem. Obviously, there were some safety concerns. You know, everyone was like, well, they should have held this fight in Florida. Well, if they'd done that, commission's not any better there. The tests aren't any more strenuous there. Um, that wouldn't have really solved the problem. Um, and also, you know, look, Bellator clearly deserves some responsibility in um, being a part of the health props, problems and scares that affected Dada 5000. Uh, the Texas Commission does. Dada 5000 has some personal responsibility in that regard as well. So all the parties have something to bear there. So in those in those are the arguments you want to make uh, specifically about Bellator 149. Those are the defensible things you can say in terms of what they got wrong. Okay? Fair enough. But when everyone is like, you know, what is Coker doing? A, this isn't what he used to do. First of all, you're just imagining things. Does no one remember Bob Sapp versus Jan Norte? Like, does this does this not register with anyone? It's the same one where Joe Riggs got real messed up off a of Harai Goshi, same event. Um, or Diaz versus Shamrock or, you know, whatever the case may be. He, he's, he's been doing fights like this for a very long time. For a very long time, not, not not quite to this extent. The doubling up that is a little bit weird, but like these semi gimmicky and, and and you know Fridays was all gimmicky, but at least semi gimmicky, big name, really not a lot to do with anything else kind of fights. This is fairly standard operating procedure for him. Second of all, again stacking the card the way they did, okay, they didn't do a good job of that. But what is it they expect people to do? I just don't understand. Do y'all pay attention to the ratings? Look at them. Because either Kimbo's fighting or it's dead zone. There's no in between. It is feast or famine. Everyone's like, they can't do these freak show events again. Not only can they, they have to. They literally have to. They can't. You you want Bellator, Bellator to do just the Mike Chandler, Josh Thompson's, Mo Wall, Phil Davis's kind of events? Great. They're, that's the fastest way they're going to go out of business. Going to be lightning quick. And I'm not sure whose interest that serves. And everyone's like, well, so what? Okay, you want Viacom getting out of the MMA business? I, I'm not sure I do. Now, we as a public and a community need to hold them accountable for the things they do. Um, 
But it's not good for MMA if they're not in the space, especially since fighters don't have protections uh, and they're you know a collective bargaining generally. Saying they can just stop doing freak show fights and literally stay in business, keep the lights on, is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. There's no merit to that argument whatsoever, unless you just want Viacom to just lose money or something. And maybe you do, but I'm... That's not the way business, that's not the way the real world works. They're not going away. Now, what's going to happen to them and how much longer they can do them, I don't know. Those are real questions we can, you know, need to begin to think about. But you're going to see Kimbo Slice again because they don't have a choice. There's no choice here. There's a little bit of choice in terms of how they spread it, either stacked or thin. But that it's there, it's never, it's not changing anytime soon. You need to come to terms with that. This is everyone's like, this is not the way Strike Force was. Yeah, no S. Strike Force existed at a space and time where they had a much greater share of the talent pool. That's not the case today. Every time, how many times have I said this on this chat? Every time a number two or competitor to the UFC dies off, every time a pride goes away, an elite C goes away, an IFL goes away, an affliction goes away. And a strike force goes away. The UFC gets bigger and bigger in terms of not just merely its roster, but the a percentage of world-class talent they then control. Scott Coker is working with what is out there. If you are under the delusion that Darian Caldwell versus Joe Warren is just going to set the world on fire with ratings and pay for everything by itself, you're simply, I don't know how else to say it, you're just not in touch with reality. It's not a defensible position, Period. Period. So I'm not defending like the use of Kimbo Slice because I think his fights are great. I mean, that that had, that had to be the worst fight that's ever aired on national TV. But everyone's like, "This is what happened to Scott Coker? Nothing. Nothing happened to Scott Coker. If this is the choice he would have faced in 2008 and seven and nine, this is exactly what he would have done. This is exactly what he would have done." That's who he is. He's trying to, and again, there were some some missteps with Bellator 149 and how long this thing can go, but more or less, he'd be making the same decisions. And I think you need to wrap your head around that. If you don't want to watch Kimbo Slice, don't. If you don't like their product, tell Bellator. Write them in tweet. Write them in email. Tell your cable provider. Like you, you're You're under no obligation to like this stuff. It's fine. I, I, I'm not telling you Kimbo Slice fights are the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. What I am telling you is people still like him. He's the biggest star in Bellator by far. And they have difficult choices to make about who they put on their cards in ways that really no other promoter does. You know, and everyone can get mad about it. Your World Series of Fighting was in a racquetball court or wherever it was, you know, trampoline park or something. You want to take the route of just be a UFC light? Well, guess what? You're going to go out of business super fast. Super fast. You will go out of business before you know it. The trick to staying in business outside of the UFC is to do a little bit of what they do, maybe even a lot of what they do, but you have to offer an alternative as well, both in the way your product is presented and who the talent is that you're signing, anything else. And you can get mad about it and say it's setting MMA back. It's not setting MMA back. 
we're barely even talking about it beyond this because of all the amazingness that is UFC 196. It's bad for the sport. It's bad for the sport. You, know, you are living in 2005. Now, there are serious safety concerns about what kind of fighters they're going to be using and what kind of commissions are going to have to oversee what they're doing. Okay, fine. But that's not a relevant concern in every freak show fight. So you, you guys can get mad at Scott. Get mad at Scott. You don't want to watch Bellator? Don't. Just don't. I mean, it's fine. I, I will sleep fine tonight knowing that a bunch of hardcore fans don't want to watch Bellator. It's quite okay with me. It's not my problem. It's their problem to deal with. But if you think that you can stop doing freak show fights and just turn this ship around and compete with the UFC on honest terms, the terms hardcore fans like, you would run Bellator into the ground financially in less than a year. So take your pick. Uh, vocabulary, Luke, in all seriousness, I appreciate your vernacular and vocabulary. It seems to come flawlessly and definitely makes you stand out from other journalists and commentators. Any tips to share on how you got there? Just read a lot. And don't read a lot of MMA stuff because there won't be a lot of that in there. Uh, okay. Someone says read books. When you don't know a word, look it up. I have to say I got a Kindle. Uh, and I'm reading a couple of books right now. I'm reading a book called... Um, Gunfight on the Second Amendment, and I'm reading a book uh, by Radley Balco on the rise of the militarization of police. This is not typically what I read, but I had promised myself I would read at least these two because they were recommended to me by a friend. So um, anyway, I'm reading them, but uh, neither here nor there. The Kindle is great. If you guys have never had a Kindle, and I'm not sponsored by Amazon in any capacity, this is just personal advice to me to you. The Kindle's amazing. Now, I don't have the one with 3G in it, but I have the one with Wi-Fi in it. And if I have Wi-Fi attached, even without the Wi, I think without the Wi-Fi, I can. Even, let's say the Wi-Fi is on, I can click on a word I may not know, and I can look at the definition. I can look on someone's name I may not have heard of. Let's assume I've been living under a rock. I don't know who John Lennon is, right? You could click on John Lennon, and it'll pull up its Wikipedia entry. And if you look at the footnotes of people's articles, right? So if someone says, "Hey, in 1976, this law was passed," although you know. This group um, opposed it at a city council vote, and there'll be a little, you know, a number two sign at the bottom of the thing. You can click on it, and it'll be the article that they're talking about. You can go and click on that, and then you can read that article. And any word you've highlighted you may not have known, um, what's the word I was looking up today that I had no idea what it meant? Um, I will tell you what it is. I will admit it. It is this word. Ready? Gallimaufry. Gallimaufry. I looked it up. Um, it'll, it, it saves a word puzzle. So like after, let's say, six months of reading books, all the words you didn't know that you looked up, it'll put them in like a game where you can match the word to the definition to help refresh your memory and over time um, increase your vocabulary. So I, I don't know if you guys are in the market for Kindle. Um but man, I, I got to say, the other cool thing about the Kindle, when you read on it, and I know I'm here neither here nor there on it, when you read on it, when you buy a book, it's like this book will take you nine hours to read, based on like average reading um, rates. So you can kind of have a sense of how long it's going to take you to pour through it. Um, I, I recommend the Kindle. I have the paper white one um, highly. All right, let's move on because no one cares. Uh, no Nick in Nate's Corner. Nope, won't be able to do it. 
Ashley Evans Smith versus Marion Renault. I agree that Renault won the first round 10 9. That's clear, but I also think it's good that Smith won the third round 10 9. She did. And the second round is tricky because of how close it was. Either of them could have won that round, but I gave it 10 9 to Smith. I think the judges should have scored it 29 28 Smith. Blah, 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 blah. But I think they got the right winner. Getting the right winner by accident is not okay. If someone says, here's a map, I want you to put a pin in Washington, D.C., and you know where it is, and you put the pin. That is very different than saying, I'm going to blindfold you, stick this pin anywhere. What I'm looking for you to do is find Washington, D.C., but you can just put it anywhere, and they just happen to put it on Washington, D.C., right? Because what you say, what you're essentially saying is, well, they got the right winner, right? Well, okay, crisis was averted here in a sense, but what this means is that if you can't judge a bit, if you can't score Marion Renault before that that first round, if you can't score that first round for Marion Renault, you just have no business doing this job. Because if you didn't screw her over, you're just going to screw the next one over. There's a basic level of competency, and I love the Pittsburgh Athletic Commission, uh, or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania Athletic Commission, saying, well, you know, look, that's what they saw. You know, then what your judges saw is uh cause for them to see an ophthalmologist because this is insane this is insane. i am so sick of commissions just deferring to the moronic clownish judgment of their stupid judges and saying that's just what they saw you know what is your opinion about global warming i think there's a spaghetti monster in the sky who's just rubbing his hands together and it's making everything hot well i can't say you're wrong that's just your opinion that's just how they saw it no you're an idiot who doesn't deserve to being a judge is a de facto way of saying we trust your judgment we are empowering you to make choices and decisions about things because you have an ability to do so more than the average person we pull off the street. If it was just a function of pulling someone off the street, grabbing people out of the audience and giving them a free t-shirt and saying, judge this, then they would do that. But they don't do that because we're trying to find some measure of, of certification, of third-party validation. And then they go and then these, these clown show commissions well that's just what they saw well then what they saw is a problem jack so i can't stand reading that i can't if we can't have even some kind of baseline consensus about what a round is or is not then why are we even judging fights what i I don't understand what the point is well that's just what they saw yeah right okay well your judges are either blind or stupid or both. But I know one thing for sure. They're not capable of doing this job. That's what I know. I know that pretty clearly. If you got Marion Renault rocking and hurting Evan Smith, having a mostly, even if she was slightly losing that fight before that round beforehand, then comes out and does that and then nearly gets a, a guillotine finish, certainly a, a very, very close one. Well, she was, you know, she landed three more jabs the first half of the round. You just don't know what you're looking at, period. You don't you don't know what you're looking at. And you got people in power covering for that because they don't want to have to go through the work of finding someone else to replace them. That's really kind of what it comes down to. They got a volunteer army, and they got to use the broke down, you know, jamokes that walk through the door uh, 
since you know they 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 don't have anyone else to go. They they can't go to someone's door and knock on and say, "Are you an astrophysicist at the local university?" Right. So here's the government demanding that you become a judge for mixed martial arts contests. They don't have this luxury. They got to wait for you know, uh, Gomer Pyle to come through the door and say, "Hey, I want to judge MMA fights." Well, Gomer, you're in luck because the UFC's coming to town. Now, you can just make up whatever you like. We don't really want to hold you to any kind of a hard standard. Well, because that would undermine our ability to really do this job competently. But we're going to put you in that seat nonetheless. So go get him, Gomer. I, that, that's just what they said. Yeah, I hope the Steelers lose for an eternity. And Pittsburgh sucks, by the way. Uh, Pettis versus Barboza. This is a fight that favors both Pettis and Barboza as they each need a proper amount of space to implement their lethal striking game. Anthony has a distinct advantage in the jiu-jitsu department, but will probably find it difficult to take Edson to the mat. He's not going to do that. None would argue that Barboza has a clear edge in size, strength, speed, and his raw power in every strike that he throws. Question, since both Pettis and Barboza will have the space they require for their styles to be effective, is it safe to say that whomever moves forward more will likely be the figure of this bout? Yes, I mean, backing Barboza up is critical. We've seen that how many times now? you got to get him backing up. If you give him space to go side to side laterally and then in and out, boy, he's gonna he's a handful. He's a handful. And I'm a little bit worried about that because Pettis, you know, was kind of, kind of flat-footed, inching in on Alvarez. Now, that was for a different reason. He didn't want to get taken down, but... Um, I think Pettis has become a little bit more flat-footed generally over the years. I'm not sure I can defend that statement with any kind of empirical evidence, but it feels that way. Anyway, we'll see. But I think you're right. Like To the extent that this is really going to be about Anthony Pettis, to the extent that he is moving himself, um, cutting off the avenues that Barboza needs for, for space, uh, it's his fight to lose. And especially since if he lands even a little bit, you know, I feel like he can... Pettis takes a good shot. You know, no one really talks about that. Pettis takes a really good shot. So I think he takes a better shot than Barboza. But it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, is Joe Rogan racist? I don't think so. Uh, what is your take on Joe Rogan's recent comments about Dada's eating habits and how his family was greatly offended by this, saying even his comment was overtly racist? This is the one where he said his heart was filled with cheeseburgers, uh, fried chicken, and orange soda. <laughs> okay. Um... I, this, you know, Joe, uh, he, he occupies a, a, a unique space, you know, because he's at once a comedian and um, he's also a commentator. And here's the truth about that. Comedians say a lot of things I find to be either just not funny or awful, but I'm a big believer in letting bad art be. I don't have a lot of interest in letting bad art, because uh, I do believe it is an art form. I don't have an interest in policing art. Very, very little. And I find, you know, you know, go back to the days when I was a toddler, not toddler, but a child, and it was the piss Christ. Everyone remembers that controversy. Um, not interested in, in protesting. And I think art should be left alone, even when uh, deeply offensive and, uh, frankly, downright awful. Um now, to the extent that what he said is art as part of his comedy routine, this is the problem. Like, the world is so blended, it's hard to parse one from the other. Like if he had said that on stage, 
you would say, well, this is part of his act and this should be left alone, but it was part of a podcast, I believe. So in that sense, it becomes, um, you know, a bit of a blurred line. I guess, generally speaking, I really, um, the older I get, I don't, I don't think more conservative is the word. And even the word conservative, I don't think I'm using ideologically or politically. Um, I am, I am not, I am generally speaking, not that interested in policing what Joe Rogan has to say outside of his official duties as a UFC commentator. That doesn't mean there won't be an exception where that might come into play. I'm just telling you, generally speaking, um, people might have different perspectives about it. And I respect that. I really do. Um, I'm a straight white guy. So that impacts my judgment as well. You know, I may have a different perspective if I was, um, you know, a gender queer black woman, but from my vantage point, I, I feel like if you're, I, I'm just not that interested in policing what he has to say outside of his official capacity as a UFC commentator. I think a lot of that should be left alone, but that's just me. Fantasy matchups. Who wins? Prime JDS versus John Jones. John Jones. Prime Anderson versus Rumble. Ooh. Anderson. Prime Rampage versus Prime Vitor. Rampage. Prime Vanderlei versus Prime Melvin Manoff. Man, that's a... Pfft. I'll say Manhoff. Prime Liddell versus Prime Rutan. Liddell. Prime Frank Shamrock versus Baharas. Baharas. Prime Shogun versus Prime Ortiz. Shogun. Prime Machida versus, I'm assuming, Prime Cormier. Um, Cormier. Prime Couture versus Prime Forest. Couture. Jacare versus Phil Davis. Jacare. Gustafson versus Teixeira. That's a tough one. I will say Gustafson. Sonnen versus Tim Kennedy. I'll say Kennedy. Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders. Well, that's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? I don't know. I, 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 Trump's general election voter negatives are very high, but I don't know if Bernie Sanders can really capture the electorate in that way either. Bisping, high volume, high risk, high reward. How does Michael Bisping force Silva into a high volume, high pressure fight? And what are the dangers and rewards involved as he tries to do so? He has to pressure the movement of Silva, but only insofar as um, he doesn't get caught in the clinch and he doesn't get caught at the end of the punching range of Silva. Silva's end of his punching range and the end of Bisping's punching range are going to be different. Bisping has to keep it even inside of that. It's a weird little tight space. It's inside the punching range of Silva, not in clinch range. That's the space he has to occupy. That's a very, very tough place to do that. Um, I don't think if he got put in the clinch, he would be overwhelmed. I just don't know that that he can go there routinely and win, right? I don't know if he'll get stopped necessarily. I actually think that Bisping is a pretty good clinch, at least a defensive clinch, you know? Um, and I don't think Silva's what he used to be. But that, to me, is the issue. Is uh, that's, the, that's the range he has to occupy, and that's going to be very, very hard to do. Silva has a lot more options in that sense. He has kicking range, and I guess Bisping has kicking range too, but I don't know how lethal he is there relative to everything else, how, how easily he might be able to get caught. But certainly in the end of Anderson's punching range or inside the clinch, I favor Anderson.
Luke, how excited are you for the huge press conference before weigh-ins at 196? Um, oh, you mean the uh, unstoppable one? Yeah, those are good. Those are a lot of work for us, but they're good for the UFC. I understand why they do them. And <coughs> excuse me, fans seem to like them. Short answer: Better MMA grappler, Askren or Habib? I'm gonna say Habib only because of the variety of different takedowns he has. But um, Askren's a little bit better about dominating in dominant positions. You know, Habib lets a lot of guys get to turtle, and then he just kind of works around on them like that, or gets on top at half guard or something. Askren likes to move to side and mount, but it's close. Uh, rank from most to least surprised you'd be to see someone lose by submission. All right, from most to least. You got Verdum, Maya, and Jacare. I mean, all of them. I would be shocked. I would say, uh, since he's been hurt, I'd say I'd be the most surprised for Verdum, to be honest. Then after, actually, mm, Verdum, Jacare, then Maya. Look, if you were the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, would you overturn the result of Ken Shamrock's fight with Hoyce? into a no contest, agreeing with Ken that the foul immediately preceded the finish. Yes, no, why? No, probably not. He had a weird reaction to it. And sometimes people do, like if you've ever been hitting the groin, every guy who I'm speaking to right now knows this. Sometimes it does take a few seconds um, to go through. But I don't know, man. Like Shamrock just has this ability to snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat uh, over and over again. Or snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, whatever it, whatever the proper metaphor is. Uh, yeah, snatch snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I don't know. You know, you go back to all the times that he gets stopped too early, and it's like, what the hell? Back to some of the Tito fights, and you know, not being able to finish the job against Kimbo, and then this one, and then Petey, my heart, and the whole bit. It just kind of feels like this is who he is, you know, especially in a later age. I'm all too happy if he doesn't keep fighting. And he actually told me this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, or at least certainly a couple of weeks before the fight, so maybe like a month or two ago, some, something like that. He was ba he basically told me, like, he's going to stop when he basically can't find anyone um, to book him anymore, right? So, like, can't get a license to compete or can't go overseas and get a and get a booking. You know, that's how bad it has to get for him, which is depressing to hear, but certainly his choice, right? Um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. It's, it's a – I really wish he would stop, but – Interim featherweight title. Isn't it time for the UFC to go ahead and book Frankie Aldo for an interim title, maybe for UFC 200? I don't see Connor defending anytime soon. Yeah, let's see what happens with this fight. Let's see what happens and let's see what direction he goes. Because if he's going to try and hold up three divisions, then you got to make some choices about what you're going to do if you're the UFC. You can't just wait on him forever. I mean, he can't compete. He's not like Cerrone. He can't compete, you know, every three weeks or something like that. Like if he's going to go, the, if he's going to go back to a lightweight, maybe not. But even then, you might want to think about it. Or if he says, you know, lightweight, then for sure welterweight. You know, I mean, I guess if he loses at I guess if he loses against Dos Anjos, he'll have to go back to featherweight, presumably, because then lightweight will be closed off and welterweight will for sure be closed off. So that would leave featherweight open. So, yeah, I guess let's just see what happens with UFC 196, and then we'll go from there. But if he goes the route of going to welterweight, I would not be mad at them for 
creating an interim title um, at featherweight. True or false? Nick Diaz, excuse me, Nate Diaz, will Stockton slap Connor at least once during the fight? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Would that be funny? I mean, even if he loses, still getting the old Stockton slap in there. Nothing wrong with that. He will give the middle finger to Connor during the stare down. False. All TV shows and pay-per-views will shut off during the broadcast of the event. Okay, that's a terrible question. Connor will say a little twerp to Nate, even though Nate's bigger than him, leaving Connor embarrassed. Probably false. Jones versus Liddell. Yeah, I saw this one. Chuck just said he would give Jones problems in a fight prime versus prime. I think he's nuts. Your thoughts on this? Chuck does not understand how much the sport has evolved. No, he clearly does not. And, um... You know, what do you expect Chuck to say? Oh, in my prime, this donk would put hands on me and it would be the most embarrassing thing in the world, you know, or maybe you expect him to be some kind of a middle ground. You might expect him to say, um, you know, I'd I'd be competitive or I would give him my best, but that's not who Chuck Liddell is. That's why he can't fight right now because that dude either put your lights out or went out on his sword, and that's a real dangerous game to play for everyone involved, especially the longer it gets played. But, you know, that's just sort of his warrior. I mean... When, when it was funny, you know, I did that. Um, if you guys saw, I did that Sports Illustrated roundtable for Richard Deitch for all the M- other MMA reporters, and I was like the only one. <laughs> tells you something about my worldview. I was the only one who was like, "Oh, I'm routinely lied to." But I don't know that people go in and like when I interview him, I'm going to tell Luke Thomas lies. I don't think it's that exactly. It's, I mean, think about what what Liddell is saying. You're like, "Oh, Liddell is wrong," but it's not merely that Liddell is wrong. It's that, you know, there's so much deception in the fight game, including self-deception. Fighters, like, condition their minds to tell them nothing but, you know, you're not tired. You are the king. You're going to win this fight. You're going to win this scramble. You're going to win this round. Whatever. Um, even when they know, or maybe they feel like they're not going to, right? They lie to themselves, and that lie becomes super powerful. And over time, it doesn't even become a lie. It becomes your reality distortion field. It becomes it becomes your view of, of, of the world around you. Uh, you internalize it to such a degree that it becomes, in your mind, real. Uh, and I think that's what's happened here a little bit. Like, he's just never going to say that because he has conditioned his mind even through all the times he was wrong and believed something totally incorrectly. Now, that's not that's not the same as lying directly, but I guess I just mean if we take lying to be a wider, broader view and incorporate the word deception, um, you know, self-deception in the MMA game is enormous. It is enormous. And in some ways can be very, very positive and beneficial, and in some ways can be quite toxic. And this case is a case where, mercifully, um, he's not going to be competing, but it would be toxic if he could. I'm going to skip one here and then go back to it. What if Dada 5000 had died? Good question. Normally, this would be a like a trolling question, but Dada 5000 suffered cardiac arrest following the fight. If he actually died, what do you think the fallout would have been on Bellator? Do you think Viacom would have pulled the plug on Bellator? This was a normal circumstance. I wouldn't think so, but because of the freak show aspect, it seems the fallout would have been pretty bad. Don't think they would have pulled the plug on Bellator. I think they would have said, you know, I think what they would have done is probably pointed the fingers at the commission a little bit. And we should actually have a little bit of a truth discussion about this. Now, 
when we all saw Dada 5000 hitting pads, we all kind of knew, okay, this is, you know, this is a, this is a gimmick, right? I mean, you knew that before, of course, but I mean, it really laid it bare. But I went back and looked. All of the health and safety concerns that we had articulated prior to the fight, we the media, you the fans, it was kind of all centered on that main event. It wasn't really centered on, um, you know, wow, what's going to happen in that Kimbo Slash Dada 5000 fight? Like, is someone going to get really seriously hurt? There wasn't a lot of that prior to the fight. Now, that doesn't excuse what ultimately happened. Let me be clear about that. In fact, quite the opposite. But I guess what I mean is to answer your question, if there had been something that we had identified prior to the fight and then it tragically had come true, well, that would be better. Or actually, even better. That would be worse. Because then you could trace everything. But no one was really worried about the safety of those competitors. They were worried about the safety of two guys whose combined age was over 100 in the main event. Uh, which was crazy because ultimately nothing really happened to either of those guys. And that was a short fight, of course. But um, it raises the question about, you know, if you're going to be booking rank amateurs, can you at least put in healthy rank amateurs? You know? Um and if you're going to do that, can you at least go to a state that's going to do like hydration tests and things like that? So, so there's those questions are in play, but I don't think they're just, I think to have really shut Bellator down, there would have had to have been people ahead of time being like, this is a real bad idea about that co-main main event. Everyone's main event. Everyone did say that. And it wanted to be in the opposite. I wanted to be in a short, no big deal. I think for Bellator to have been shut down, it would have had to have been, in advance, all of us being like, you know what? A Kimbo slides out of 5,000 fights going to be real worried about fighter safety. And then something tragic happens directly related to that, either through, you know, Bellator not doing enough or commission, you know, negligence or some some combination of the two or whatever the case. Then people would say, we warned you. It happened. This is, this is uh, so serious. We can't ignore it anymore. And maybe even then they wouldn't have shut Bellator down. But I feel like that's what's going to have to happen probably you know i think if god forbid knock on wood it doesn't happen in my lifetime i think if and when someone dies in the ufc someone might try out there to make the argument that like this this dangerous thing has been going on forever but each event that passes where it doesn't happen the ufc is going to be able to say look at our track record of safety we've got this huge track record number one bellator doesn't have that track record number two they don't have the same kind of athletes to even have that kind of track record and and I think three, someone you know, someone's going to say, well, you know, this is an activity that the uh, express intent is violence and damage. It's not to you know play chess. Um, there's no other. There's no other. Uh, um, there's no other aspect of the sport other than damage and destruction. Right? You know, there may be damage and destruction in football, but there's other aspects: getting the ball past a certain far, you know, line to to get a set of downs and then a touchdown, and whatever the case may be. Someone will try that. But, you know, between them, or I should say among them, you know, they're the long safety record, among them running to regulation, among them having any number of third-party validators at this point, among them, you know, contributing to research to the um, Cleveland Clinic. And, of course, Viacom has done that too, but the stakes are higher for them. And I think the USC is much less, much more, I should say, risk-averse in that regard. Um, they would have a very strong argument that this came out of nowhere. And as a consequence of this coming out of nowhere – 
we shouldn't have it held against us. I think it'd be very different if UFC, especially UFC, if let's say, I mean, they would never do this, but let's say they had booked a fight where it was, you know, Dada 5000 versus CM Punk. You'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Dada 5000 almost died in a fight, and now you're booking him? This seems like a real bad idea. And then, God forbid, something tragic happens to him. Then you could say you can trace everything down and and say you know this is this is something we saw coming and you still let it happen we don't know if we can trust you to do this anymore um i don't think you see whatever really i don't think you are going to be put in that kind of position for for the most part bellator i don't know we'll see um I'll say this though, and again, I hope it never happens in our lifetime. If it never happens, we are so lucky. But if a fighter dies, I actually kind of hope it does happen in UFC because of other reasons I just mentioned. Now, I would, I don't, I, again, let me be super clear about this. I'm, I am not hoping that it does, nor am I wishing it upon UFC. Far from it. But I'm just thinking about the future of the sport. Who is best equipped to handle that kind of a mess if it happens? Seems to me like UFC is the obvious answer there. Oh, did I skip one? I think I did. Uh, where's Eddie Alvarez? Why is he not in the conversation to fill for RDA? Um, just not that interesting of a choice, I don't think. Is the UFK, is the UK Silva versus Bisping suffering now? Because of RDA's drama. I mean, it's eating up the media cycle a little bit, but I'm not sure how much it's eating up the media cycle in England. And, um, you know, that fight's been promoted for a while. It's going to be promoted more this week. I would say it's going to air on Fight Pass and then, you know, free TV in various other places. It's not like they have to, like, kill it with a promotion to make their money back in pay-per-view. Everything's pretty much already set in stone. Now, what that'll do to viewers online, I don't know, but I not really. I, Anderson Silva has a, still a very loyal fan base. This is a big fight for him. Um, yeah, sure. RDA being out has eaten up the media cycle, but I don't really think it's going to dramatically impact business for Bisping versus Silva. It feels that way right now, but when it's all said and done, UFC put the groundwork in for this a long time ago, and uh, it's happening in a place where it's not going to be as directly affected. And more to that point, it's being distributed when the fight actually happens in ways that aren't reliant on what was the most recent burst of popularity you got. Connor's next fight. Let's say Connor goes out and KOs Nate at 196 and comes out healthy. All right. Does he skip over lightweight and fight Robbie at 200? I think he might. I think he might. Because that is so outlandish and so crazy. You would say he would never do that. Anytime you say, man, Connor would never do that. That's exactly what Connor's going to do. I've just learned to accept it. John Jones not training. I think John is the best fighter ever, but I'm somewhat concerned by Arlovsky's comments about Jones barely showing up at Jackson's. What do you make of this? Uh, I didn't see his comments. Oh, here's what he says. He says, you know, I don't particularly like certain aspects of John's behavior. He rarely comes in for training. But you can't underestimate his fighting abilities. He's very strong and smart fighter. He has a great desire to return to the UFC and become the champion again. Um, 
It's somewhat of an oxymoron, but I remember a semi-credible online source saying Jones only trains seven times with the Gustafson fight, which is equal parts amazing and concerning. Yeah, I'm with you. It's amazing that he can pull this off. It's concerning about what he's leaving on the table. Now, I've been told by other people he's been training a lot more recently, although, you know, again, he might skip some time to time. Uh, I I don't think he's in the gym like John Dodson or something like that, Uh, but I am told it's up from what it used to be for sure. But you know, what are you supposed to say to the guy? John just doesn't listen to anybody else. You know, I mean, he might listen to people who are close to him. He's not going to listen to any of us. He's not going to listen to you. He's not going to listen to me. Um, I've been one of his biggest defenders, and for sure, he just goes and does things that are just completely indefensible. You know, it's like he's just going to do what he's going to do, man. I, this is this is what I meant. People got all bitter about it when I said it after the um, the you know the plea deal went down. John's going to do what John's going to do, man. Just sit back and watch. Because you trying to publicly pressure him to do one thing or another. I mean, look, we can talk about it here on this chat. It's fine. The, que- the question's fine. I'm not trying to bash the question. But he's just going to do what he's going to do, man. Like, all the praise in the world, maybe that goes to his head. But all the negativity, I'm not really sure that goes to his head, or at least ultimately how he makes decisions about himself. He's he's still locked in a lot of the old ways of thinking. Now, I think a lot of that has changed. I think he has matured a, l- a little bit. Maybe even a lot, you know, but I don't know. He, he, he's going to do what he's going to do, man. Let's just see what happens. But, you know, that doesn't mean you can't criticize him or praise him, depending on, you know, appraise his fighting ability, criticize him driving 75 and 35 while on probation. But um, but he is his own man, and he is going to make all the choices that he wants to make, and there's nothing you or I can do about it. True or false? 196 will do over 1 million pay-per-view buys. <sighs> Come on, y'all. Don't sleep. Diaz versus Connor Presser will have the most curse words spoken in UFC history. I got a feeling this one's either going to be like a dud or it's going to be exactly what people say it is. We'll see. So I don't know answer. Prime Chuck Liddell beats John Jones. False. CrossFit equals no gains. Dude, CrossFit is such a joke. And everyone gets real bitter at you when you say CrossFit's a joke. But it's a joke. Um, if Silva KOs Bisping, I spelled Bisping wrong, he will get a middleweight title shot. Maybe. Only because, I, I, and I, I remember a reader introduced it here in a chat a while ago, and I dismissed it like the idiot that I am. But the truth of the matter is, with Romero out, and they're going to rematch Weidman, is Silva really that far apart? Especially since he has such a name you can sell? I don't think it's that crazy. I'm not predicting it's the likeliest thing in the world, but I don't think that's outlandish at all. Potassium-free Dada 5000 beats Kimbo Slice in a rematch. No, I don't think so. Dada health updates. Why was so little info available from Bellator when such as Ariel and others were trying to get updates on Dada's current condition? Do you think Bellator could have handled it better? Yeah, of course they could have handled it better. Look, everyone wants to beat up on the Bellator staff. These are good people. They're not bad people. What I think you saw was... um, they were negligent in terms of here's what I think. They just didn't understand the gravity of the situation a little bit. Um, you know, if you're in the fight game long enough, you just basically always kind of think someone's going to be okay, you know, and I'm not sure how much, you know, and that changes a lot. If you visually lay eyes on someone, um, that can change it. But when you hear stories about even scary ones, I'm not saying they were numb to it, but, you know, 
you just kind of feel like, well, he's in a hospital now. And I, I'm, I don't want to speak for them because they didn't tell me any of this, but I, I just got the sense that it's not like they don't care about how he's doing. Of course they do. These are not, these are not evil, mean people. They just didn't understand that there's still a public responsibility for those who are concerned um, to be transparent about it. You know, someone got injured on your watch in a real way that's unusual. And they got injured because they got in over their head. You know, you have some responsibility to own up to that, I think. Um, and you have some responsibility to make sure that people uh, are kept aware of uh, someone's condition, even if that condition is unchanged. I talked about this on the MMA Hour uh, on, on Monday. I, I think they found themselves in a situation that they were not accustomed to. And here's a little rule of thumb, and it can apply to almost anything. A, 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 an injured fighter, a, a, a uniquely kind of promoted fight. If you see a promotion try something or get involved in something that they're not typically accustomed to doing, they'll often do it badly or at least a very mediocre way. So I don't think that Scott Coker's been in a lot of situations like this and Bellator staff have not been in a lot of situations like this, which is a good thing. And I don't think it necessarily occurred to them um, right away that this was something they had to do a little bit differently than the standard operating procedure. Now you can criticize them for that and I won't get in your way. Um, that's a fair, that's a fair thing to be like, you dropped the ball on that. They did drop the ball on that. I think it's a fair thing to say, but I don't, I don't know. I've interacted with them a bunch. I don't feel like they're real bad people who just don't give a damn how Dada 5000 is doing. I just feel like being transparent about that is something that didn't occur to them until after the fact. And you can get on for that and you should get on for that. But it's also a testament to the fact that this is not a situation they find themselves in a lot of. Um, but it's not, you know, there's no, there's no saying, well, that's no big deal. That's eh, a big deal. There's a guy who nearly died on your watch. You should probably say something about that, even if you have nothing to say. Um, just get out there and keep keep telling us what's going on to the extent possible. Uh, and mercifully, he's looks like he'll be just fine when uh, when this is all said and done. I hope. Um, but yeah, I think that's what it is. I think they just found themselves in a situation that they had not really encountered before, and they didn't handle it all that well. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, McGregor as linked to the old school. Multiple times, McGregor has willingly accepted opponent swaps, most notably 189 against the terrible matchup in Mendez and now against Diaz. In a time where so many guys are focused on managing their careers, picking their fights the right way, waiting on title shots, is there a case to be made that McGregor is true new school linked to old school approach of taking on all comers and seeing what happens? In a way, in a way, I mean, there was a little bit of that... Um, you know, guys would do that before there was even money. There was this sort of martial arts code that if you're the best, you just get out there and you prove it. And what we found is that what separates the best from the next best is often nothing. You know, you go back and you watch the Lawler versus Condit fight. Was one guy really better than the other guy? No. So why would you take one of those fights on short notice? You are guaranteed to lose because what separates you is basically nothing. If you give one guy competitive advantage by him having a full camp and you had a two-week camp, this is not this is not in your interest to take, right? That's what we kind of found out. I think Connor kind of masks that a little bit because he feels like he's better than everyone. Um, well, if you feel like you're legitimately better, like not just a little better, like way better, leaps and bounds ahead, you might just you're not really all that intimidated. It doesn't the change doesn't mean a whole lot to you? Now we'll see if that self assessment is correct uh, at UFC 196 and then beyond, but. Um, it, it is a little bit of a throwback in that sense, but 
the initial old school was less about a calculation of, am I better than this one? And more of a code of responsibility. Now, I think McGregor has some of that code of responsibility. I also think he wants to make some money, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. You're probably going to make a ton of money. Go make it. I think that's fine. Nothing. I'm not in any way bashing that. I think it's a good impulse. But it's a slightly different thing to say, you being subbed out with you doesn't change my odds of winning versus um, if I'm going to make a claim about something, I have to uphold it in a in a tradition of, you know, um, honor to make that claim a valuable claim. They're slightly different things. Any ch- any uh, World Series of Fighting champs? You can see making the jump to uh, the UFC. This question is not wrecked, by the way. Just want to point that out. Like, this is what I'm talking about. I don't know what's going to happen with World Series of Fighting, but for all of the nonsense that went on at Bellator 149, and there is plenty of that, you guys know that as well as I do at this point. Who would you? Whose shoes would you rather be in? If you're running an MMA business, you rather be Scott Coker tomorrow. Or people running World Series are fighting. I think you'd rather be Scott Coker. Sunday night shows too late for UFC. I live on the East Coast, so do I. And the last thing I want to do on a Sunday night is stay up past midnight to watch MMA. I've talked with other people in the East, and they DVR the fights as well and watch them on Mondays. Do you think having the UFC main event go off late on a Sunday is the best thing for ratings when 46% of the American population live in the Eastern time zone? I don't know why they do it the way they do it. It obviously sucks. Living on the, covering and watching fights on the East Coast blows. There is nothing that is more fun than going to the West Coast to watch and cover fights. They're done at like 10, and people go out to the bars. Like, what? If you cover on fights on the East Coast, they don't get started till 10, on the pay-per-views anyway. It's a nightmare. It's a complete nightmare. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if anyone even wants me telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So, like, most nights when there are fights, I go to bed three-ish, four-ish in the morning, something like that. My boss is up until, like, six or seven every time, seven in the morning, to cover fights. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare on the west, on the East Coast. Um, and I don't know. But the thing is, then they pulled nearly a million people. You donks keep watching. They're going to keep doing it. I don't know what to tell you. I can get up here and complain about FS1's pacing, and everyone who knows anything about FS1's pacing knows it's indefensible. It's so horrible. It makes the show such a chore to watch. You you took cage fighting between elite athletes, and you found a way, if you're Fox Sports 1, to make it a chore to watch. Y'all keep watching. If the ratings are good, they're under no you know, pressure to change anything. So... They do a nearly a million views on a Sunday night. You know what they normally do at that time, at midnight on a Sunday night? Probably like, what, 30,000, 50,000 if they're lucky, if they're airing like garbage time with Katie Nolan or something. Gustafson. What do you think the future holds for Gustafson? I was thinking about this the other day. I know MMA fighting has previously reported that Alex is struggling mentally to become motivated to fight at the moment, so I just want to get your opinion. Having lost... To the top three guys currently in the light heavyweight division, do you think Alex could potentially drop to middleweight? Or would the cut be too far and unrealistic? I don't know. I've never seen him in person, so I can't make a uh, claim about that. 
I could see him going to heavyweight, actually, to be honest, more than middleweight. So, I mean, it's a much easier division, right? But that motivation is the real... <coughs> that's not something a weight class change might... I mean, it might fix it. I, I, I don't know. But um, um, it's a tough call, man. You know, once you get the doubt about how much you really want to do this, it will show fast. It will show fast, you know. You see guys who either were world title holders or used to be or were top contenders, and they're just not the same after that. You have to have a burning, intense desire to do this. And if you don't, man, it's going to suffer. So I don't know what's next for him. Maybe it's R&R. Maybe it's – I don't know. I'm hoping for the best because I do find it to be an unbelievable – I mean, here's again. What 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 separated John Jones and Gustafson in their fight? Almost nothing. What separated Gustafson and um, Cormier? Not a lot. Now, the Anthony Johnson one, okay, fine. But this is what I'm talking about. This is why Gustafson versus Johnson, Gustafson, uh, excuse me, Gustafson versus Cormier, Gustafson versus Jones, Lawler versus um, Condit, um, uh, Cruz versus Dillashaw. These are why guys don't take fights on short notice because what separates them is basically nothing in a moment in time. Maybe, in, you know, a rematch will be different, but, you know. All you, have to, you, you don't get 10 fights against a guy. You get one, maybe two. You got to act on that night. And what separates you on one night may not be all that much. That's why guys don't take fights like that. But as for Gustafson, I don't know. I have to say, I want. he said that that was to me a very big red flag. Now, I make no predictions about the future because maybe that was just how he was feeling at that moment. And that has is slowly going away and he's getting the fire again. I don't know. But if that's a recurring problem for him, he has real issues to to account for. anecdotes from your time as a doorman after the whole situation with Pena you mentioned you used to work as a doorman you have some fun stories uh that time you'd be willing to share and what is the most difficult annoying type of people you used to get at the door everyone's annoying at the door you are all terrible at the door because everyone's drunk everyone says their friend is in there everyone says they left their tab in there if they leave their tab in there you actually have to go get it um or someone has to go get it um it was a mess. God, I'm trying to think of like, um, we had a guy swing on, um, one, I was working side door once we had two entries. I was working side door once we had a guy working front door, front door guy was small, which was stupid. They didn't, they shouldn't have put him there and they did. And of course he gets swung on. And, uh, so I, I peeped my head around the corner cause it was in this little doorway where I was standing and, uh, there's just this brawl. I mean, this, it must've been seven or eight people in this, in this bar, and I was like, well, <laughs> someone has to go un-F this mess. So I, I go over and, uh, God, so what was my first thought? My first thought was, okay, I can't stop this fight from happening. Let me shove everyone out the door. Because if we can at least get it out the door, we cannot hurt the patrons on the inside. So I just get behind everyone like a rugby scrum. And me and the other manager, who actually, who, who my old manager, this guy named Kevin. Kevin wrestled Kurt Angle in high school. He was a high school wrestler. He's actually a pretty good one. Um, and he got behind me and like two guys in a rugby scrum. We shove every, this, this pile of fighting uh, out the front door. And then when we get out there, um, I was able to pull a couple guys off of him. There's still a fight going on between him and two other guys. Um Somebody threw a pint glass at my head. It shattered up behind me, and some of the shards cut the back of my neck. 
which was not that all. I mean, I didn't even know at the time, but everyone's like, you're bleeding after the fact. Um, one of the dude's friends, as I pulled him off, had to tackle me, and I, he was so small. I, I, this is true. I, and I, I was huge at the time. I took him by his opposite shoulder and just, like, he-manned him off. Um, and then eventually got between the two, and we actually tackled a couple of those guys and held them there while the campus cops showed up. Or, you know, the the you know the cops they're not campus cops but they patrol the cops the campus anyway and they came and arrested those guys almost had to go testify in a court once but uh was man- managed to get around it but i've seen you know um i saw one time a dude get beat up by his girlfriend because he refused to hit her back and she wasn't like beating him up beating him up but she was like you know slapping him around a little bit um god what else have i seen Oh, uh, we had a guy attack our manager once because my manager had a broken. It was the last one. Manager had a broken arm and was slow making drinks. And when he gave the guys his bill, the guy left him. Uh, <laughs> the guy left him seven cents and was like, "Make drinks faster next time." Like wrote that on the note. So my boss, not being the, what do you want to say, um, mild mannered guy, I'm, I'll never forget this. He opens the register and takes seven cents out of it goes over to the guy's table because he had taken the drink and then walked to a table and threw it in the guy's face and goes, here's your seven cents back. I don't need your effing tip. At which point the guy stood up and began to swing on him. So then I had to tackle this idiot and then drag him out by his heels, literally by his heels, as he held onto the door like a little child or something. And we eventually got him out and subdued him. Um, you know, we had, I threw a guy out last one. I threw a guy about, we, we did like Virginia beers. So if you came before you got like a dollar off all Virginia beers, we came and he left and uh, or I got in there. I kicked him out cause he was drunk and he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't listen. He came back with a posse and he wanted to swing on me. So we actually had another coworker who was actually working that same side door. I was previously, I was working front door this time. He came around the corner and wrapped the chair around his head. That was fun. Actually was that actually was my my happiest moment watching that dude get crushed with that chair. Um, so yeah, I've had a number of incidents that have not been too fun. Let's go to the Twitter machine here real quickly to get some of these questions answered in a rapid form. Uh, how many fans do you think Bellator can carry over to their next event after 149? I don't know. It's a very open question. We're gonna find out. Maybe not many because there's not a lot of connectivity. You know, do you think Connor can ask RDA if he loses? Can ask him what? In my opinion, that might be the reason he took it to 170. I don't know what you're asking. Do you think Nick Diaz will try to take the fight to the ground? No, I do not. Uh, will MMA fighting be streaming the UFC 196 press conference? If we're not, we'll definitely have it after the fact. Should the UFC do another all-one weight class pay-per-view card? And what weight class? Yes, heavyweight should be great. Holmes says, thanks for the shout-out. Um... People talk about what happens if Connor KOs Nate, but what happens to Nate if he finishes Connor spectacularly? Well, he'll just be the biggest thing since sliced bread. He will get a title shot at lightweight or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't. He'll get something nice. I don't know. If a fighter is taken off a card for failing a drug test, but then the B sample is clean, do they get paid? I don't think so. Uh, if Tim Bean's drug sample comes back clean, does he get paid? I don't know. I understand Cerrone's disappointment, but two weeks would have been too short a time in between. Yeah, I just didn't like the idea. If he had fought like a month ago, I'd be much happier about it. But like last, you know, 48 hours, three days ago, this is a little too much for me. You know, I, I understand he didn't take, you know, he got in that fight and got out of it relatively unscathed, but I don't know. 
Do you think if Connor beats Nate, he will say screw RDA and go to Robbie for 200? I really think he might. Uh, what happens if Nate Diaz wins? That's a good question. That I think a lot of people wonder if Nate Diaz beats Connor McGregor, I'll say he stops him too. He'll get a big fight next. I don't know what and where, but he will get it. True or false? Kimbo Slice will fight Mike Tyson and Bellator before the end of 2017. I'll say false. Less is the, here was a, here was the problem that happened with Kimbo. If the Kimbo and Slice fight had ended in about a minute, right? Tussle, tussle, tussle. Kimbo takes a couple of shots, but then comes back, bang, and then you know sleeps him, and that's the end of it. I don't think there'd be a whole lot of complaints. I mean, everyone would have called the fight crap, and it would have been fine. The problem, if you're going to do those gimmick fights, what you want is you want the gimmick to end relatively quickly. Because what happens is the longer it goes, it just lays bare what a gimmick that it is. So Kimbo Slice didn't lose. And I think once he loses, they'll just be done with him. I don't think there'll ever be another. If Kimbo Slice loses in Spike on Bellator, they'll be done with him. He didn't lose here, but he got real close and looked real bad all the way through. It's going to be a while before you see Kimbo again, maybe July or August, because they're going to need some time for people to forget about that and be interested in whatever might be next. Less is more for UFC, but what if they were to create a promo for up-and-comers like a Strike Force Challengers? If it was promotionally viable, I would be in favor of it. I don't know that it is, but if it was possible, I would be in favor of it. Any thoughts on the modified rules for Victory Fighting 48? No. Uh, Luke, do you think the tie clinch is still an effective weapon for Silva given the loss of physical strength that occurs with age? I, I, I still think it is. I don't know how effective it's going to be against Bisping, as I mentioned before. I think he's a very adept clinch fighter, especially from defensive responsibility. He's always good about getting chest to chest, giving an underhook. He's got takedowns from there, you know? That's going to be interesting to see how much Bisping goes with the takedown in this fight. We always talk about the fact that they're striking because Bisping likes to strike, but I bet he likes his chances on top, too, you know? Uh, well, Diaz's reach and jabby boxing hinder McGregor's movement. No, McGregor's movement is going to take is going to take advantage of Diaz's boxing. Uh, what are the three worst state commissions? I mean, pick any three not named California, Nevada, and New Jersey. Luke wasn't Dos Anjos talking about going up to welterweight sooner rather than later. I don't know. He might have been. Do you think Diaz will try to clinch up or slugfest? Slugfest. Do you think Connor will fight Dos Anjos or Lawler next? It depends entirely on the nature of the victory, if he gets it. Thoughts on John Nash's interview with Quarry um, on separating promoters from sanctioning? That's an interesting question. I have not had a chance to read it yet, but you know what? I'm going to put a star by it. There you go. Any idea when Kat Zingano returns? No, it's a good question. Uh, does this seem like a perfect setup for UFC 200? Yes. Yes, it does. As it should be. Anyone is going to get in McGregor's head, it's going to be Diaz. Maybe. Do you see Diaz's BJJ coming into play in the fight? Only if Connor puts it there. I don't... I mean, you can see Diaz, you know, from that from that wizard. He's got that uh, Harai Goshi, the, the, the major outside throw, major outside reap, whatever it is you know, where you have the, essentially blocking the two legs and then they go over the top. To the extent that that's relevant, maybe, but beyond that, no. Do you think Diaz is conditioned to go five rounds? Probably better than you think, but maybe not like a full five. Is the euphoria of the announcement masking how one-sided of a fight it is? I don't know that I would call it one-sided. I certainly think there's a clear favorite. But yes, there is some euphoria about how fun it might be not forcing us to really grapple with the fact there's a clear favorite here and fight might not go in as many ways as people think, but 
you know how many times have we got up here and been like, this fight's going to go this way, and it's never what you think it is. Or Arlovsky's done, and then he's so not done. So you got to be very careful about that, too. Let's see here. True or false, Vanderlei fights Rampage this year. Well, he won't because he can't. Uh, wouldn't it be easy to fix the supplement issue if USADA starts to test and cert, uh, certify the supplement brands? Yeah. How many fights Rampage has with his new old contract? They wouldn't tell me. I asked. They wouldn't say. Uh, on the Rousey controversy, research links single concussion to increased risk of suicide. Sure. I think you see that a lot with a lot of guys in American football. Which fights do you wish were, uh, were at live to take in the greatness? Oh, which fights do I wish I was at live to take in the greatness? Um, I've never been to a Conor McGregor fight. How about that? Um, I don't think I've ever been to a Rousey fight. I'm trying to think. Yeah, so those. Any thoughts on the latest developments in Tiverdian's bankruptcy case? You got to go read Paul Giff's reporting on this. It's so good. At, at MMA Analytics. Look, in the past, you mentioned your new camera does 4K. No 4K forthcoming. Not yet, because of the connection that we have to use to make it work. When should we throw our hands up and ignore all of John Jones' legal woes? Right now. Right now. Don't waste any more time. He's going to do what he's going to do, and that's the end of that. Bellator 149 or Ryzen, which one was more of a disgraceful event? Well, given the health concern, oh, God, then Sakuraba took a beating. Wow. Um, maybe Bellator 149 only in the sense of what happened to Dada 5000, but if you take out Sakuraba and you take out the Kimbo Dada 5000 fight, I would say Ryzen. But with that one in there, it changes things a little bit. If you guys think this is going to like damage their brand long term, you're not right. It's not going to. It's not. It's just not. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's a thing you have to just accept. People, death, taxes, Rousey by armbar. People like watching Kimbo Slice fight. That's how. That's how it works. McGregor's return at 145. Already kind of covered this. Is there a chance that 196 actually does more pay-per-view buys now than what it would have before? That's an interesting question. Probably not because that champion versus champion thing, even though Dos Anjos is not the same, would have been a really easy hook for the UFC to promote. Like, would they have, would they have made this fight absent the injury? You know, like before before Dos Anjos was injured, before they had selected an opponent. I'm sure they thought about Nate Diaz, but they, they clearly went around him. So this is a secondary choice by definition in that regard. Um, yet is it still one that promotionally has more muscle? I have a hard time believing that, but I wouldn't rule it out. Certainly wouldn't rule it out. Um, let's see. What do you make of Bisping's comments on MMA Junkie that due to multiple opponent changes throughout his UFC tenure, McGregor is the luckiest bastard in the world? I mean, I know what he means, right? Like, he gets to face a bunch of guys on short notice, and that has been a beneficial thing to him. That's that's a, that's a true statement. Like, McGregor defenders are like, that oh, doesn't matter. Well, no, it does matter. I mean, it's a real thing. He is facing a lot of guys coming in on short notice. It's just also true that when he gets guys who aren't coming in on short notice, he waxes them too. 
trickle-down effects of Connor's trash-talking skills. Connor's very good at getting his opponent's heads in his opponent's heads, and in many cases, there's been evidence he, he was able to influence how the fight goes, blah, blah, blah. Now it seems another benefit of being the type of showman he has become is he can always book a fight last minute. Can this actually be a calculated strategy by chance or just by product? Also, given the short amount of time, will Connor be able to mess with Nate's head at all? I don't think so. I don't think it's really going to play a role. I mean, he, it, Diaz kind of fights angry anyway. So, again, I, this is one. I think it's just, uh, you know, the best way to fight Conor McGregor is without having to do a media tour with him. Um, probably, right? So, Diaz has, you know, been around the game a long time. Is unintimidated. Probably excited about making a big big payday. Um, should be a fun fight. But mostly this comes from the fact that everyone, their brother, has called out McGregor. And so, uh, you know, there's just a lot of options to follow. Uh, here, our buddy Chris27, let's see. Is Conor McGregor versus RDA for lightweight title big enough for UFC 200? RDA's injury has impacted multiple divisions, fights, and cards. I mentioned this on my chat yesterday with Ariel. Like, when one fight like this falls out, it doesn't just affect those two guys or the card. It affects a bunch of divisions and the calendar generally. Rumor going around is that if Conor McGregor won versus RDA, he'd fight Lawler. Um... But with that fight being off, if he beats Diaz, will he fight RDA 200 or is it big enough? If it's a big fight due to history, but without the heat between the two, will the fans be bummed about a headline the biggest card? Really, I think it's a good question. I think it's kind of up to McGregor here. It's the direction McGregor goes. And we'll end here on this. If he goes, look, again, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just posit a scenario four minutes in, that Diaz gets slept out cold. Okay? I'm not saying how likely it is. I'm just speaking hypothetically. If that happens, that means McGregor has carte blanche. And if he has carte blanche and he gets up there and focuses his attention on Lawler, then that's where all the energy and direction and heat will be exchanged. If he returns back to RDA, well, he's got plenty of ammunition, doesn't he? That's still a valuable belt to get. It's still something that he wants to do maybe. Hey, you pulled out. He can make it very personal in a way that he doesn't quite have that personal. The, the, the story of going up to RDA initially was just going up to lightweight. But there's nothing personal. The story of going up to Lawler was there's no real heat between them. It's just going up to welterweight. Now, if he goes to lightweight, he has both that achievement of being holding two belts at once, and he can make it personal. He can't do that with Lawler, not yet. I mean, maybe he'll find a way, I suppose, but there just wasn't a lot of history between them to make that the case. So that, I think, is the difference. Now, what he wants to do, I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. But... um but that was the difference before was that there wasn't enough time to make a whole lot of things personal between RDA and McGregor. It was just about that. Mostly anyway, about that accomplishment, which is the same for what lightweight or uh, welterweight with Lawler. But now you have with this injury pullout, you have the things between he and Connor RDA and Connor being a little bit tense that may intrigue him in ways that we aren't calculating yet. But here's what I do know. We're going to find out, uh, keep it tuned to MMA fighting because we're going to have coverage of this presser, which starts in about, uh, what hour and a half. So we'll have everything you could possibly want. We've got guys on the ground. We've got three guys with cameras there. It's going to be a show. We're going to have plenty of stuff going on. So keep it locked. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas, iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. And until next time, um, stay frosty.